my wife and myself have been attending Jericho for the last 18 months or so, and so it's been a real honor and pleasure to get to know you, everyone here, and share this time with you as this music stand slowly <laughs> rescinds from me, so. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm stealing someone else's, uh, moving stuff around on stage, which I know as a musician is also loved, so. Anything that happens or goes wrong after this is clearly my fault for moving stuff around on stage, so. Okay, if you would uh, open up your copy of the scripture to Isaiah 55. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. The word of the Lord. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen, and I will tell you where to get food that is good for the soul. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, for the life of your soul is at stake. I am ready to make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the mercies and unfailing love that I promised to David. He displayed my power by being my witness and a leader among the nations. You also will command the nations, and they will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the people turn from their wicked deeds. Let them banish from their minds the very thoughts of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that, they, that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God that he will abundantly pardon them. My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and food for, for bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst forth into song, and the trees will, of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where briars grew, myrtles will sprout up. This miracle will, be, will bring great honor to the Lord's name. It will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. Let's pray. Oops. Lord God, we come before you this morning. And we thank you for these signs of your love and mercy, Lord. We thank you for this congregation that you have called together and pray that you will speak through me this morning. Um, give, give us the ears to hear and uh, may, may we be open to your spirit to speak through us and to us this morning, Lord. Amen. So I'm, I'm wondering if you guys have ever bought something and found out that once you got home, it wasn't quite what you expected it to be. 
Have you ever shelled out your hard-earned cash for something that didn't quite meet your expectations? I know I had this experience. One of the first things I did when I first moved to Langley was I went grocery shopping. I had to fill my empty shelves. Now, I headed out to the grocery store knowing that I moved to like this great, wonderful, expensive place to live um, and expecting everything in the grocery store to be like infinitely more than I paid for back home in Winnipeg. But it was to my surprise that one of the first things I picked up in the grocery superstore was uh, what I considered to be a luxury, Cracker Barrel cheese. And to my shock, it was like half the price of what I used to pay back home. I was like, this is awesome. Maybe things aren't going to be nearly as bad as I thought they might be. So I went around the store the rest of the way thinking, man, this could be really good after all. It was only once I got home that I, and I was putting my groceries away that I learned that that cheese wasn't quite the deal that I thought it was. See, the block of cheese was the same length and same height as any other block of Cracker Barrel cheese you've ever bought. But it's like a quarter of the thickness. Like, this stuff was so thin that if you held up to the light, I swear you'd see light through it. Um, it wasn't quite the deal I was expecting to be getting. Maybe you've had an experience similar to this, but in a more significant area of your life. Maybe a relationship you were getting into didn't turn out as, to be as life-giving as you expected it. Maybe that job that you took didn't really pan out and it kind of turned into the same as the last one. Maybe it's someone's word that convinced you that this time it would be different when it really wasn't. Maybe it's your own promises to yourself saying that you've changed for good only to find out that it's kind of hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Or maybe it was a community that failed to live up to its own commitments to you. Whatever your experiences are, I'm sure that more than once you've experienced a lack of authenticity, or at least what you perceive to be a lack of authenticity. Something didn't live up to its promises. What you expected and what you got were two different things. But here in Isaiah, God offers us good things, things that are good for our soul. Again, verses 1 and 2 say, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen, and I will tell you where to get food that is good for your soul. Now, God is offering us these valuable gifts of choice wine and milk, two things that were extremely rare and valuable in the prophet's day. Think of how rare fine wine is in our world. Now subtract all the sanitation that allows for any consistency. Or, or milk without refrigeration, where milk is only good and palatable for a few hours. Wine and milk in the prophets, they were extremely rare. And God is using these two things to illustrate how generous he is to us. He is giving us the best things possible. He is not just offering us something to drink. He's offering us the best to drink. But how do we know that these things are actually good? How do we know that they aren't just like that cheese they bought being a shade away from transparency? The first thing that we must remember is that about these gifts is that just as any gift reveals something of the character of the giver, so we cannot remove these gifts from God's character, from his truth and his goodness. We can know that God's Gifts are good for our soul because he's the creator and lover of our soul. 
He, my friends, is good. To return to the grocery aisle, for another analogy, um, you know that many items are sold with shaky claims. Pop-Tarts being part of a balanced diet, <laughs> cheese Whiz actually being cheese, and then certain items being some sort of premium or special product. But it doesn't take too long in the grocery store to realize that most of these clean claims can be easily manipulated. This is the reason why certain selling points, such as fair trade or, or uh, organic, have certification bodies. For example, when you buy coffee, you can rest assured that your f coffee is fair trade, shade growing, and organic because some organization has done the investigation that you or I, as an average consumer, can't do. And so it tests to the truth of these grand claims. So it is with God. Because God is truly good, we can know that his gifts for us are truly good. Because he is the creator and lover of our soul. And this is the reason why our church can value authentic community. It's only because of God. It is impossible to have true community unless we have the truth of God laying bare the truth of our existence. We cannot live in authentic community without the one true authenticator. This is because we were created by God for fellowship with him. Any community that exists without him without fellowship with him, will fail to measure up to what we were created for. Again, this is because God knows what we need more accurately and acutely than we do. However, sometimes the, off the gifts that God is offering may not seem to be quite as good as we want them to be. Sometimes we may feel that God isn't living up to his end of the bargain, or that maybe he's not quite as good as advertised. One thing that we must remember when we talk about the gifts of God is that God is wholly and completely different from us. God does not simply differ from us in degrees, but in kind. God is not simply better than us, more pure, stronger versions of us. Instead, he is wholly and completely different. We are creatures, and he is the creator. God is offering us truly good things. However, sometimes because of our sin, we may not recognize these gifts as being good. We may not realize that these are the gifts that we actually need. However, if we seek gifts and blessings that are different than what God is offering, it is easy to mis misunderstand both God and ourselves. We can be like a child who is too stubborn to stop playing in the hotel room that is across the street from Disneyland. If we demand to stick with the few things that we can control, we will miss the adventures of Space Mountain for the few toys that we can jam around the suitcases in the car. To look for God, to God for only physical blessings is to reduce God from, from being all that he is. When we seek things of this earth from God and only things of this earth from God, we force God into a mold that forces him into our created world. And when we seek only after spiritual blessings, we remove him from that created world, casting him out from our presence, where he cannot interact with his created world. Both of these temptations to remove God from our created world for only spiritual blessings and only for, from, for spiritual, or physical blessings are temptations of idolatry. 
they reduce God from being the all-powerful God that he is, that we see in Scripture. In this, we are tempted to replace the God of Scripture with a God that is much more to our liking, one whom we can control, or who will provide for us in ways that we desire without meddling in our private lives. God is calling us to sweet to to receive sweet gifts, gifts that will truly satisfy our all too human needs. Needs that we may not even understand or acknowledge. Instead, we can choose to strive to grind away and to work for foul water, water that does not satisfy. Or we can respond in faith and receive the sweet water, choice wine, and precious milk. Sustenance that will not only provide for our bodies, but for our whole selves. Now, if you've been reading along throughout the book of Isaiah, as we've been working our way through it, you will remember that earlier in this book, God marks the carved images that were imported to to Judah from the surrounding nations. But behind these bold statements, there is a deeper reality. Um, As a commentator on the book states, in Isaiah, there is always an awareness of what an idol symbolizes. Not only are they sometimes made of gold and silver, they also symbolize the replacement of God by this material security that silver and gold provide. Human security or divine authenticity, the choice is ours. Excuse me. God gives good gifts, and we don't have to work for these gifts. We don't have to strive for them, extending ourselves to gain blessings or God's pleasure. God doesn't desire for us to do anything. These are God's gifts to us. The first five verses of this chapter are very clear that God is the source and giver of what we truly need to live. God does not change or God does not charge or demand. So... And I really like how the NIV phrases the first uh, verses 3 through 5. The NIV says, Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful promise to David. See, I have made him a witness to the people, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations that you do not know. And nations that do not know you will hasten to you. I want you to listen to the actions of God. He makes it possible that our soul may live. He will make an everlasting covenant. He faithfully lives. He made David a witness, a leader, and a commander. He will make the nations seek the people of God. God is the one who makes these dramatic ideas a reality for the people of God. God will do these amazing things, things that we long for, However, there is an aspect of human action, of human participation in these promises of God. In this passage, God uses particular verbs regarding human action. God calls us to give ear, to come, hear, seek, and call. Now, the action words that God uses to describe his own actions are verbs of initiation. They're big words. The verbs that God uses for human action are responsive verbs. God acts and calls us to respond in faith to his action. This call to respond to God is what faith 
is all about. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking about faith as something that had everything to do with a prayer that I prayed to God once. Believing in God had everything to do with what I said once in one prayer. But as many of you who have been on this faith journey for any period of time know, faith is far, far more than this. As Karl Barth notes in his collection of essays entitled God Here and Now, he defines faith as the following. This is faith that I let Jesus Christ be for me what I am not and cannot be for myself. My goodness, my righteousness, my salvation. That I let the word of God be my God, my creator and preserver, my Lord and Savior. And this, therefore, is our share in the sovereign act of the word of God. This is, therefore, our true humanity. Again, this is what it means to be faithful. This is what it means to have faith. That I let Jesus Christ be for me what I am not and cannot be for myself. My goodness, my righteousness, and my salvation. And this means that I let the word of God be my God, my creator and preserver, my Lord and Savior. And when we do this, when we trust Jesus to be what we cannot be, and submit ourselves to the Father, Son, and Spirit as God, Creator, Preserver, Lord, and Savior, we therefore participate in the divine life, the act of God. We can live the life we were created for, because this is what it means to truly be human. This sort of faith is not something that we set once and forget. It's not a Ronco machine. It isn't something that we, it is something that we do every day, and every moment of every day. In this, faith is kind of like marriage. It wasn't enough for me to stand up and uh, on our wedding day and tell Carmen that I love her and that's it. No, I have to get up every morning and display that love to her. And in every moment of every mor- day, display that. And so the life of faith is the life of faith. The life of faith is the life of submission to God. Submitting every action and decision to him. This means that as Christians, before we think I need or I want, we must think first of all that God is. This is because God's existence is the foundation of our renewed life. To do anything else is to create an idol in our minds. It is in this, in this understanding, first and foremost, as as defined by God, that we actively participate within God's actions. When we live this life of faith, we experience a blessing that is beyond description, which is that we are drawn into the act and work of God. This work is the will of God, and it is exactly what you and I were created to experience. This action of God through us is the fulfillment of our freedom, not the negation of it. Let me say this again. The action of God through us is the fulfillment, not the negation of our human freedom. In the context of human experience, this seems contradictory. I mean, how can humans have freedom and yet have God work and act through us, let alone have our freedom fulfilled? However, as this passage reminds us, God is not like us. 
For many years, I always thought of God as just some sort of really superhuman. Someone who is like us, but just way, way better in every way. However, this is idolatry. This made God in my image instead of me being made in God's image. God is not like us. Though he reveals himself in ways that we can understand, he is wholly and completely different than we are. The gap between God and us is not simply one of quantity, but quality. God is beyond any category that we humans can create. Read with me again what God says to his people through the prophet in verses 10 and 11. The rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So I know that we are much more scientifically advanced than the Jewish nation of Isaiah's day. I know that we have meteorologists and climatologists who can explain the weather and botanists who can describe the life cycle of plants. But really, how many of you truly understand the power behind the rain and snow that comes down from the sky? And even after Brad's great description of plant germination on Easter, which was truly enlightening, Brad, um, how many of us actually understand the power and motivation behind a seed dying and producing the life cycle of a plant? Not very many of us, right? These are mysteries that highlight who God is. He not only understands these mysteries, but he is the one who created them and controls them. He created these mysteries which our lives hang upon. And so God cannot be reduced to a human concept. To borrow another analogy that Brad used last week, I'm sorry, I'm just re-preaching all your sermons from this series, Brad, but um, God and humanity are on a different operating system. I really like that. They cannot be compared. Now, this might not be so apparent today when every application and every program can be bought and sold for every um, operating system, but those of you who remember the good old days of DOS and Macintosh, you know what I'm talking about. Because if you had a DOS computer like I did and then went to your friend who had a Mac, you quickly realized these two things are like nothing the same. They look different, they work different, and that really cool game that your friend had, it won't even work. Like it won't even start up on your computer. God and his power are beyond our understanding. They're like trying to load a Mac game on a DOS computer. It just doesn't work. They're just different. And this is why he can work through us while establishing our freedom. Our freedom starts as a response to God and to what God has done in his freedom. Our freedom is secured not by a legal document, but in God's freedom. The fact that God is wholly other is why he can truthfully speak and say that just as these miraculously life-sustaining things happen, seemingly on their own, so it is with his word. He sends it out, and it always produces fruit. And this is why John notes in the first chapter of his account of the gospel, he says, 
that referring to Jesus, he was with God and he was God. He created everything there is and nothing exists that he did not make. The results of this truth continue to be felt today. God is continuing to build up his kingdom and draw people into the life they were created for. A life which is the life of joy and peace. This work may have been fulfilled in Jesus, but it has yet to be completed. Is this contradictory that it's been fulfilled and yet completed? It kind of sounds like it, and sometimes it feels like it. But the work of Jesus is like the final trumpet blast in a symphony. But that blast is still reverberating around the concert hall. It is still affecting individuals and groups within the great concert hall of humanity. And so we live in the space between the final note and the completion of that song. The problem isn't that the trumpet blast hasn't been heard. It's that it's yet to be completed. The kingdom of God is established. The real work is done. But it doesn't exist in its fulfillment. It isn't quite in its final state. The jello is made, but it hasn't quite set yet. And so you and I continue to feel these problems in our daily lives. Sin and death continue to stalk us. Yet we know that they are not the end, and they do not have the final word. This is why Christ implored us to pray in, in, this final, in his prayer, your kingdom come, Lord. We know that we live in, in the now. The kingdom has come, and yet the kingdom is still coming. It is still breaking in all around us, and God is at work. This is the reason why I love that scene from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in which you still haven't seen Aslan. The Savior isn't there, and the witch has yet to be defeated, but her power has been broken, and the never-ending winter is coming to a close. New plants are popping up around, and the snow is receding. Because the kingdom is already affecting our world, spring has sprung. We can participate in the kingdom even now. It may not be summer, but it's certainly not winter anymore. As we saw earlier, God works in and through us, but we have a participatory role in this. God is establishing his kingdom. He's doing miraculous things in bringing this world that has been broken into the order that he created it for. And best of all, we get to participate in this. I really like how Eugene Peterson states the last two, uh, or verses 12 and 13 of this chapter in the message. Peterson says, So you'll go out in joy. You'll be led into a whole and complete life. The mountains and hills will lead the parade, bursting with song. All the trees of the forest will join the procession, exuberant with applause. No more thistles, but giant sequoias. No more thorn bushes, but stately pines. Monuments to me, to God, living and lasting evidence of God. Notice what the prophet said. We participate in this kingdom. We help spread it. While we lead into a while we are led into a whole and complete life. God's kingdom is not simply an amusement park that we show up and enjoy overlooking the outside realities of the world. 
However, God's kingdom um, is not in its fulfillment, and it continues to grow and expand. God is the one who continues to establish it, and he is the one who will bring it to its fulfillment. In this fulfillment, we, this is the fulfillment that we were created for, to glorify God through caring for our fellow creation. This is the work in God's garden that we were called to, and it has three significant outcomes for us in the here and now. First, we know that God's kingdom is good because it is his and because he is able to authenticate its value and meaningfulness. God is offering fellowship and meaning that our hearts crave. He can do this because he is the one who is offering for us finer gifts than we can ever imagine. This kingdom is no paper-thin block of cheese. It has depth to which we can never reach. Second, we know that we can participate in his kingdom because he creates the space for us to respond to him, for him to participate with him in his kingdom, just as we respond to his gifts in our lives. God does not force us into his kingdom. He does not reject people. Instead, he chooses humanity in Christ, and in this choosing, creates freedom for us to participate in his kingdom, a freedom to be truly human. And finally, we know that God's freedom does not limit our freedom, but instead it creates true freedom for us because he is not like us. His thoughts are not like ours. His ways are not like ours. God is in all things and works through all things, even in ways that we cannot understand or perceive. God works to bring glory to himself and expand his kingdom even when individuals choose not to participate. Even when individuals choose to enslave themselves to sin instead of living in the freedom of true humanity, God will work through these experiences. Now I'm going to call the the band to come up and lead us in a few more songs. While they come up, I'm sure some of you are wondering how this all affects you. Maybe you struggle to understand how God can be good in the face of the evil of the world. Maybe your experiences with God have have led you to doubt if he is good or actually in control. Don't give up those questions. Please, don't give up those questions. God can stand up to your inquiries. But always remember, his ways are not like ours. And his works are very, and he works on a very different timetable than we do. We are constrained by the moments of our lives by seconds on a clock, our birth and our death. And God is not. But dig into him. Seek him out. Seek him in prayer. Seek him in discussion with your fellow believers, such as in a life group. Or seek him out in the writing of wise brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Or maybe you're burnt out on trying it on your own way, on religion, on human action on trying to change the world or at least the world around you into what you think it should be, well, then you're at the right place. Know that God wants to and is changing the world. If you are a reader of Scripture, you will know that the end looks very much like the beginning. Creation looks very similar. It exists in a right order, the way that it was created, a good order. 
And God is working to restore that goodness. If this is you, I invite you to stop trying to change the world and let God change it so that in faith, in submission to him, you can participate in the kingdom of God as you have been created to. If this is you, I would invite you to take advantage of the prayer teams that will be at either side and, and pray with them that, and ask God to dethrone the idols of your life so that he can be the king of your life and the rightful ruler. Finally, maybe you're like me and you so easily forget the good things that God is offering to us without cost and instead seek to gain things by your own strength, your own smarts, or your own hard work. But maybe these hard-earned things, though they may have the glitter of goodness all around them, turn out to be cheap and hollow, to be transparent. If this is you, remember that these things are not what we were created for. What God is offering cannot be bought with blood, sweat, and tears. No amount of sweat equity can buy the fine things that God is offering for free. Or maybe you simply crave the full transformation of the world, the fulfillment of God's kingdom, when all the world will be set right. Then allow yourself to cry. Cry with your brothers and sisters who have gone before us, who also cried out, just as the end of Scripture says in Revelation 22.20, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.